Good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. We are toward the end of our box office wisdom series, which has been a lot of fun just to think about the themes from the movies and compare them to what the Bible has to say about those same themes. Our main premise has been box office wisdom must match God's word to be real. That That's kind of what we're operating based on, and that's our understanding. Last week, we looked at Larry Crown, Discovering Real Love, and we talked about the four Greek words for love in uh, the scripture. And basically, real love in the New Testament is defined as, uh, it's, it's a word, a Greek word, agape. And you define that word as, um, <clears throat> you define it as a word that means, I am going to look out for the best interests of the other person, uh, whether or not I feel like doing that. So I can really, I can love my enemies. I may not feel all ooey and gooey inside for my enemies, but I can, I can show love for them. I can, I can look out for their best interests. And uh, that turns out to be the foundational love that everything else should be built on, a committed, considerate, unfailing love. Eros is another kind of love. It springs from passion, and it's more related to what we're talking about today. We're looking at friends with benefits, discovering God's plan for sex. Eros is a dangerous mix in any relationship, so we have to, or it can be, and so we have to um, think through some things about it, which we're going to do today. So we're going to see why that is today, why it's such a dangerous mix, but we're going to look at this theme from the Friends with Benefits. And as I was looking at the summer movies and the themes that were in them and which ones to pick for this series, uh, I, I chose this one because it's, it's such an important topic. There was another, there were two movies in the last six months that came out, No Strings Attached, Friends with Benefits, same theme, and I thought, okay, we've got to talk about it. I went back and looked. It's been 13 years since I've talked about this in worship. And because this is such a, an important theme, I think I need to talk about it more, honestly. It needs to come up every, every so often, certainly more than once every 13 years. But we're going to dig in today because it's such an important theme. Um, what it's about, those two movies, friends decide to add the extra dimension of sex to their relationship. And so I wanted to deal with this because it's such a prevailing attitude towards sex in our culture. Uh, there's some things that we need to talk about. So I, I looked. I, I couldn't find a clip that I could show you that's appropriate from this movie in worship. I, I really did. I looked and <clears throat> couldn't find one. Couldn't even find an interview that would be appropriate. So I'm going to summarize the, the movie for you. Jamie, played by Mila Kunis, is a headhunter who is looking to recruit Dylan, played by Justin Timberlake, to work as the art director for GQ in New York. He's an L.A. boy, born and bred, and isn't too keen on moving all the way across the country just for a job. Jamie shows him how fun New York City can be. However, he likes what he sees, and he decides to take the job even though, you know, he's L.A guy. He'd, he'd prefer not to. They become friends. And one night, Jamie complains to him about how sometimes 
She misses sex, but she doesn't want to start a relationship because that comes with consequences and rules. So surprise, surprise, guess what happens after that conversation? Jamie and Dylan decide to have a friends with benefits relationship, which includes sex, but no attachments. The two, the two find things getting unexpectedly complicated when emotions enter the picture. There's a shocker. Um, Mila Kunis, in an interview with GQ magazine, gives her stance on the idea of friends with benefits and whether or not she's had a relationship like that. She says, oi, I haven't, which tells you where she's from, oi. Uh, oi, I haven't, she recalls, but I can give you my stance on it. It's like communism. Good in theory, in execution, it fails. Friends of mine have done it, and it never ends well. Why do people put themselves through that torture? Pretty good statement on, on the way she sees things. I, I am, since I haven't talked about this in worship in about 13 years, it feels like when I was preparing to have the conversation with my kids. You know, I mean, it, you know you need to have it. And Cindy and I had talked, and we had um, decided that we wanted to give them the information before someone else did. And we wanted to put a framework around uh, their understanding of sex before they began to pick it up around them. Unfortunately, today, more and more, that has to be a conversation that's had at an earlier age and, and an earlier age all the time. But that's what we wanted to do. And, it, you know, you're just gearing up for the talk and there's a little tension. And, you know, you're, 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 you want to, what I wanted to do is I wanted them to understand that sex is a gift from God. It's something that he's given us to enjoy. But at the same time, it's, it's intended to be carried out inside of certain boundaries. And so as we, as we talked about that, that's the feel we've tried to give our kids. That's the information we've tried to share. And we're going to dig into the Bible today to see God's plan for sex, to uncover it. And the first thing we, we get from Scripture is that God designed sex to add delight to life. It was, this is his idea. It's his invention. He came up with the idea. And we can go back in the Wayback Machine to Genesis 2, and we can look at how uh, God created the world. He created it in a certain order, and uh, Genesis 1 and 2 goes through the order of creation. And it says in Genesis 2 that he created the beasts of the earth, the birds of the air, the creatures that move on the ground, and then the woman. And they came in twos, and the man was given the responsibility, Adam was given the responsibility for naming the, the animals. When the first man, Adam, saw the first woman, look at what he said in verses 23 and 24, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Very important statement about God's design for sex and what he's thinking uh, when he designed it. In the Hebrew, I want to give you a feel for this, this passage in the Hebrew. It would go something like this. Wow! God, she is amazing! Lord, this is outstanding work. And there would be this excitement, this wow would be built into 
the vision that he just saw walk into his presence. God built that wow into the design in order to add delight to life. That's his intent. Sexuality is a gift from God. It's a gift from a very gracious God who loves us. He designed us to be sexual beings. However, when this gift is used the wrong way, it is very destructive. It can be very destructive to the human heart and mind. In Genesis 3, next chapter after the verses we just read, the first man and woman decided to break through God's boundaries and to live life on their own uh, the way they thought it should be lived. At this point, the world fell. In other words, it became marred by sin, which is rebellion against God. And the scriptures tell us that we've all made the same decision to go it on our own without God. We've all decided to live life independent of him. So now, life is more complicated in some ways than it should be. And we buy into thinking and living that doesn't match with God's wisdom. God designed sex for us to enjoy. But in our world, his plan gets distorted and robs us of the joy that he intends. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at some common myths about sex that you hear in our world and compare it with God's plan. That's what we're going to do. So here are some common myths about sex in the world at large. First of all, sex is just a physical thing. There was a movie that came out several years ago with the title Indecent Proposal. And in the movie, the, the plot of the movie was a man, a very wealthy man, offers a million dollars to a married woman if she'll spend one night with him. And she wrestles with this. He, she and her husband are strapped financially. And so they're wrestling with this, this indecent proposal. And finally, at the end of the conversation, this is what she says. I'm just going to give him my body, but not my soul. It's just my body. I'm just going to give him my body for one night, and I'm not going to give him my soul. God's Word, the the Bible, has a lot to say about sex, and the reason is he built this desire in us. He has good reason for giving it to us, and he wants us to enjoy it. But nothing hurts us more than when we step outside of his plan for sex. Look at God's plan in 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and 16. It starts to outline it. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a quote of the passage I, I read earlier in uh, Genesis 3:24. Paul is going to the way back to God's original design and intent in creating men and women and the sexual desire that he's created us and this capacity for it. In, in sexual relations, there's a deep connection that goes beyond the physical. Paul says that if you sleep with a prostitute, there is much more going on than a business deal. He who unites, he says, and that's the same word used in Genesis 2.24. He who unites in sex is one with the other person. That Greek word, it's interesting. This passage was originally written in Greek. 
That Greek word unites literally means to glue or to bond to something. And that's what happens in sexual relations. We bond at a deeper level than just a physical level. level, level. I heard one guy talking about this, and he said, what, you know, think about what happens when you stick your tongue on a flagpole in below freezing conditions. What happens? It's stuck. And there's only one way to get unstuck. It's pull your tongue off the, te- the flagpole, and you leave a piece of your tongue on the pole. That's, that's the only way out of it. And I can think of a movie that has that scene in it. It's pretty funny. In sex, what's going to happen is you are giving someone a part of yourself that you aren't going to get back. You, you will leave a piece of yourself with that person and everyone you sleep with. Think about this. Nothing wounds quite like sexual violations because it's not just physical it's deeper than that the body is not meant for sexual immorality we are more than just a bundle of body parts instincts and nerve endings we we know this that's sort of the idea you get in our culture but we know this if you think about it and let it sink in it resonates that we're more than just a body your, your soul and your body are connected. You cannot detach the two. E- even Think about this. Even when you just touch someone, there's more to it than meets the eye. If you're attracted to that person, it reverberates inside. And if you're repulsed by them, it also affects your insides. I went to a Middle Eastern country several years ago where women are treated sort of like a commodity. And the ladies that I was relating to, they're, they're you know, the, the wives of the men uh, that, that I know there, um, and other single ladies even, when they went to the market, they would have to put a man, uh, one, one of their friends in front and one of their friends in back, to keep from being grabbed by the men in that country in the, in the market. When they were grabbed by the men, it wasn't just a touch. It wasn't just a physical thing. It was trauma. Because there's more to it than just what is happening on a physical level. There's, there's more to sex than meets the eye than just the physical thing. Um, our soul and our body are connected. In sex, a oneness takes place. That is much deeper. It's at a much deeper level than just the physical. Even if you paid for the sex as a part of a business agreement. Think about it. You know this in your heart that it's right. This is not what you hear on, on the movie screen or see on the movie screen. It's not what you hear. But this, this is the truth. We are much more than a body. Much more. There's an old quote, and sometimes it's attributed to a, a, an Englishman from the early... Uh, 1900s G.K. Chesterton, but it says this, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God. He's really looking for that which can take away his aloneness. People get promiscuous sexually because they, they think it will take away their aloneness because we know there's more than just physicality to it. 
In other words, we, we know this. God says our body wasn't meant for sexual immorality. Outside of the boundaries that God intends, sex leaves us empty. So it's very important to understand God's plan. Myth number two says, when it comes to sex, I just can't control my desire. And we use this, and we think this, whenever we just put ourselves in places and get around people, and eros happens, it gets ignited, and we fall into a sexual encounter. Sex is such a powerful drive, we think and say, I can't control it. I can't be responsible for my sexual behavior. I just can't help myself. I read this scenario this week. guy was talking about or I was reading about what he said about this, and, and I, I read this. He said, imagine this. You meet a beautiful woman someplace. She bats her big blue eyes at you, and things are cooking. You get back to her place. You're going to get intimate. Right at that moment, she says this. By the way, before we do this, you should know that I have every sexually transmittable disease known to man. Plus, my father is your boss. He's been known to get homicidal and protective in the past. Now, you hear that. What are the odds that you're just going to say, well, I don't care. That's fine. I can't control myself. The drive is too strong. What, what, what are the odds? Not very high, if you have any, any mind at all. In our world, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to cave in to desire. And it's understandable in our world. That, that's, that's, that's the view. There's been an embarrassment shift. It's interesting. It used to be embarrassing to be sexually active. Now it's embarrassing if you aren't sexually active. There's a major shift. So as we look at God's plan, we think about living life his way. It, it, it's going to be, we're going to be swimming against a strong current in the other direction. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. In other words, this kind of sin has internal effects. It really, it tears us apart inside. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Here's the key to self-control. Decide to honor God with your body. And once you decide that, if you're going to actually pull it off, then you have to prepare to flee immorality before arrows happens and you cave in. So you have to build in some protective measures. That's the key. Decide. Make the decision ahead of time that you're going to flee immorality and build in the protective measures so you don't just fall into it, which is very easy to do. God created sex and... He wants us to enjoy it in the boundaries of a committed relationship, a marriage relationship. Since we leave pieces of ourselves with those that we sleep with, when you keep the marriage intact and when you hold sex up in a high regard and you keep sex inside the boundaries of marriage, you literally keep yourself together. You hold yourself together in a very important way. Here's another myth. 
in our world. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Doesn't doesn't really matter if you're married. If you love one another, then it's okay. We also have a test drive theory about sex. The idea is sort of like test driving a car. You wouldn't buy a car before you test drove the car. And and so uh, the idea is we need to test our sexual camp compatibility and make sure it works before. Um, I, I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. Just just a comment on the side. Um, but we, we tend to think that. And living together is a relational version of taking a car for a test drive. And that's that's pretty much what we do. I, I encourage you to check out a book called The Case for Marriage, Why Married People Are Healthier, Happier, and Better Off Financially. Uh, I have a quote for you from that book. It's going to be on the screen. But it says, In matters of the heart, no less than the market, a bigger investment means better returns. The benefits that marriage but not cohabitation brings are not small. As the next six chapters will show, this is what the book's about. Marriage, for most people, is the means to health, happiness, wealth, sex, and long life. That's not what you hear on on the movie screen. In love, victory goes to not to the half-hearted, but to the brave, to those ordinary people who dare to take on the extraordinary commitment marriage represents. That's, that's a book written by Maggie Gallagher and, and Linda Waite. They talk about five myths of the post-marriage culture, and we're, we're, we're screaming toward a post-marriage culture completely, uh, where it's not very valued at all. And they talk about five myths in the post-marriage culture. And if, if you compare the, the myths about marriage and the, the, the marriage and, well, if you compare marriage and the alternatives to marriage, and you put them in a race, marriage laps them several times. It's, it's just way more valuable. Marriage is more than a piece of paper. Marriage is a vow. It's a covenant between two people that's made before the living God. It's, it's a commitment to stay married and connected to this person for the rest of your life. God's plan for sex is for us to enjoy it inside of a lifelong commitment to another person. Stepping outside of the boundaries that God has given us undermines the commitment and trust needed for a successful marriage, even if you plan to marry that person. Because what happens if you step outside the bounds with that person before you marry? What's going to keep you from stepping outside of the bounds after you're married? So it's important to have a good grip on this, what Scripture is saying, what God's saying, his plan for sex. God's plan is seen in Hebrews 13.4. Honor marriage. Guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So that's a myth. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Final myth is there's no turning back from sexual sin. Our enemy, Satan, he's our spiritual enemy, he has a ploy that he uses in this area and others, but his ploy, his design is to keep you and I buried in sin and guilt. He just wants to bury it, uh, bury us with it. God is, however, gracious and kind, and, and he's forgiving. 
Satan wants us to think, he wants us to think that, you know, we bust through the boundaries. We're too far gone. Why try to change? Why should we bother working on that? If you ask God to help you, he will help you stop a pattern of sexual sin. And he will help you unwind the damage that's done step by step. He will help if you ask him. Here's God's plan in 1 Corinthians 6 again. Do you, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, adulterers or male prostitutes or homosexual offenders, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's interesting. This church at Corinth, this was, this was made up of the original party animals with the togas. These, these are them. These are the original guys. I mean, their, their, their religions were actually intertwined with illicit sex. And so he's saying, this is where you're coming from. And they were starting to slide back into that pattern. They were starting to slide back in. And then he says in verse 11, and this is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is your pattern. This is what you were. But, but God, through Jesus Christ, has cleansed you of this. No matter what your past, God can make you whole. He can put the pieces together on your insides. But you have to trust him to do that. You have to allow him to put you back together. 1 John 1.9 says, But if, you, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. God's the only one who can put you back together after you've decided to bust through the boundaries and, and rebel against him. We're all in that spot. We've all gone our own direction away from God. But if we confess our sin, which means to agree with God about our sin, to look at it the same way he does, it's wrong. It's, it's wickedness. It's, it's, it's not right. God, I agree with you about it. If we agree with him about our wrong and we turn away from it, God forgives. He can and will make you whole again if you allow him. Here's a wrap-up of what the Bible says about sex. God's plan is for sex to be a delight reserved for marriage. Proverbs 5. 18 through 20. Bless your fresh flowing fountain. Enjoy the, this is kind of a PG 13 verse. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore? For dalliance with a promiscuous stranger. Marriage is a good thing. And we're in real danger of being in post-marriage culture. Marriage is to be hailed in high honor. And once we understand what God has, uh, how God has designed sex and the plan he has for it and how it's to be lived out, once we understand that and commit to God's way, a bunch more people are going to get motivated to get married. Marriage is a good thing. In our society, marriage is being kind of pulled out of the fabric of life. 
it's 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 not so important anymore. But when we hold marriage in high regard and we keep sex inside the boundaries of marriage as God intended, the very fabric of our culture will be strengthened. Families will be blessed as husbands and wives, moms and dads work through difficult times. And as they make the effort to honor the God who made them and live this out, people are blessed. The whole culture will be strengthened. Our society will be strengthened. You know, marriages fail. Jesus said marriages fail because of the hardness of the hearts of people. And they do fail. Marriages fail, and that's not unforgivable. Sometimes we feel like it leaves a mark. We feel like sexual sin leaves a mark. People step out of bounds sexually. God's love never fails. It, it doesn't. He can cleanse you from your past, whatever it is. He will help you and I. He will help you pick up the pieces of your life if you trust him with it. If you come to him, God, will you, will you cleanse me? I see it the way you do now. Will you cleanse me of these things? That's God's plan for sex. It's a good one. He wants it to be enjoyed inside of his boundaries. And as, as we paid the price in different ways for stepping outside, he'll put it back together. He'll put you back together as you, as you turn to him. Turn away from the sexual sin and turn to him and allow him uh, to put you back together. I want to wrap up the message this morning uh, by asking you to think through your next step. Please, if you would, take out your connection card that's in your program. Here's some suggestions on the back of the card and at the bottom of the listening guide, and they're pretty general uh, today. Uh, and I'd just like you to ask, ask God, God, what is my next step? What is it that you want me to do? Because Whenever you get into the scripture and you see a next step of obedience to take and you take that step, your understanding unfolds, and especially in this area. Uh, here's the first step. My, my next step is to live by God's plan for sex or to review the message to consider adopting it. Maybe you're not really there yet, but you want to look back through this, let it sink in, think about it, pray about it, ask God to show you how right it is um, before you adopt it. But that's a step. You could begin to consider this and think it through. If you're married, you're going to need to build in protective measures so that you don't step outside the boundaries of your marriage in this area. There's a great book, Hedges, by Jerry Bridges, that talks about some of those protective measures, the boundaries that you can build in in your relationships with other people um, that that will help you hold up the 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 honor of marriage and honor God in the way you handle this. If you're, if you're single, you're going to have to build in some protective measures to keep yourself in God's bounds. So that's the next step, to live by God's plan for sex. There may be some, some help you need, some ideas for building those protective measures. They're in that book. or uh, I know there are people around here who live that way. I do, and I'd, I'd be glad to help. Uh, for Another step would be, for the first time, I'm deciding to accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him as Lord. Uh, you're, never, you're never far from the love of God. You're never too far away from his love. He will never fail you if you turn to him and ask him to put the pieces of your life together. 
Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, again, we're really glad you're here. Uh, we have a gift for you. We have either a movie ticket or a book uh, and a book, um, The Case for Christ, which answers some questions about what it means to, to follow Christ and basic questions that we have are answered in that book. It's really helpful. So you can get one of those on the table to the left outside the double doors. We invite you to pick one up as you as you exit today. Thanks for being here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth that really does set us free. God, if we just live our own way and make up our own rules, we find ourselves in a bind. We really get into to real trouble. And Father, thank you for showing us how you've designed life, how you've made it to work. Thank you for your wisdom. We honor you for your wisdom, and we ask for help to stay inside those boundaries that bring real life and peace and joy. Help us, God, in this, we pray. Amen.